out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if I ever come back for a Root, root for the home team, for the Warriors. If they don't win, it's a shame. Boards one, two, three strikes. We're out at the old ball game. Dun, dun, dun. Welcome to Boys of Summer. I'm your host, Paul Arnold, and I'm back with Gene Gums and Eric Braun. And I know you're missing baseball as much as we are. I know there's only so much you can do by looking at statistics and baseballreference.com. And so if you're like us, sometimes you talk about how much fun baseball was as a kid. So this show is dedicated to our memories, our long-go memories of playing baseball as a kid when it was pure and innocent. Right, Gene? Okay. <laughs> maybe I don't think not it, i don't think i don't think pure and innocent is anything is a, are terms that have ever been used to describe anything i was ever involved in wow okay Just saying. <laughs> not even as a boy gene was like nah. the bad news bears that's why uh, i think yeah. <laughs> always well, in trouble always in trouble so maybe we should set the context a little bit uh gene is a lifelong red sox fan Eric's a lifelong Kansas City Royals fan. I'm a lifetime Detroit Tigers fan. I grew up with two older brothers, and I lived at a court in a small town. And at the end of that court was a field we played baseball all the time. And so that's where my point of reference is. Uh, Eric, you had a sister. Did you play baseball with her? Uh, you know, I didn't. We mostly we were more wiffle ball players Ooh, in yes. my neck of the woods. That's on my list tonight, too. Excellent. Good. All right, and Gene, you know, the, you know, it's funny. We did play. Uh, I had two sisters, but I, I didn't play baseball with them. But we had uh, a bunch of neighborhood kids, and every day after school, depending on the time of year, we all got together after school uh, after our homework was done, of course. <laughs> and whether it was, you know, if it was in the fall, we were playing touch football, or actually, we played tackle football, uh, you know, or in the spring and the summer, we were playing baseball. But we were doing something every day, and it was usually the same group of guys. Uh, and then uh, Eric mentioned wiffle ball. That was something that that uh, my best friend and I did in his backyard for hours and yeah. and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can see we're going to have a lively wiffle ball debate because that's on my list of things. <laughs> my brother Scott and I had epic. I tell you, epic wiffle ball. And because with a wiffle ball, you could be the greatest pitcher. You could such a great breaking ball or you could cut either way but let's start with baseball how it's meant to be and like you you're saying gene there was kids that lived on both courts and both courts ended to this field and so after school was over especially during the summer we'd end up in the back and there's usually usually six or seven of us trying to play baseball both you know home and away so let's start off and i have a tradition how we started off our baseball games but gene how did you start playing with your bunch of your guys? How did you pick sides? Um, you know, we usually we had a different captain every day, and then they would just pick. Um, so it, it, we didn't have regular sides. It, we usually kind of mixed it up every day. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, there was usually one or two kids that were always the last ones to pick, no matter, <laughs> no matter who the captain was. Right but, field. So, yeah, so we, we mixed it up. And actually, no, not right field, because we had so few kids like you. You know, we were lucky if we had 10 kids, five on a side. Mm-hmm. If you hit the ball to right field, you were out. 
Yes. So we didn't have, we didn't even have anybody playing right field. So, uh, you know, we we put them in uh, the real bad kids. We put them in the position we called left out. So we did the same thing. If they hit it in the wrong place, they were out. But the batter got to choose. So the poor dude in the outfield would run back and forth and back and forth. Oh, you let the batter choose which field he did. Yes. He couldn't get to. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. So yeah, Eric. So did you have that rule too? Uh, you know we actually did not play like neighborhood baseball. It was almost always football. Um, we we would it was more kickball in in my neighborhood because um, we had like a a mix of older kids and little kids and um, you know so we'd play kickball because it was a little I, I guess because it was a little more uh, uh, available for all the kids to do and plus mm-hmm. uh, we didn't have like a field close to us that we could just go. Everything had corn all around me, so it's hard to play in corn. <laughs> hey, field of dreams, man. There you go. Well, that was, you know, we were That's the true. same way. I, I grew up in the country as well, so the fields that we always played on were a farmer's field. And he didn't always, there was always one field he didn't plant for whatever reason. So our, our playing field always varied from year to year depending on mm. what fields he decided to plant that year. Interesting. So is that pretty rough infield if they... Oh, brutal, <laughs> brutal. And, and by the way, you know, this is, this is, you know, you're in your junior high school and, and high school, you know, you're not, you're not playing with cups. And so there were, <laughs> there were some, uh, there were some bad hops. Let's just say <laughs> it could get a little bit ugly. Yeah. Well, we would play at the end of the court, like I said, and it was a field that was pretty rectangular. So left field went into where the woods were, uh, tall grass, snakes, everything like that. And so if somebody creamed it to the left field, there was always some kid that said, okay, Joy, you have to go get it. And Joy would practically cry going out to get the ball somewhere out there. <laughs> and the baseballs we played became so dirty. I mean, we never thought about washing them. We just kept on throwing them and playing with them. And to pick sides, one guy, one captain would throw the bat to the other guy, and the guy would catch it in the air. And then you do the hand on top of hand. And to see who would bat yep, first yep. or second. And then we had the claw. Did you have the claw, Gene? What, for the last guy up that could put his hand over the right, top? Right, so yeah. if there was enough room for a guy to go over the top and his fingers to get in, he could get the choice. Yep. Yep, so that was universal, too. Now, awesome. did, now were, there, were there houses around on this on this this lot where you played? I mean, were you in danger of hitting any houses or yes. anything? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. awesome. Makes so, it more exciting. Yeah, in... Uh, if you hit in foul territory on first baseline, you could hit a back of a house or into a pool, which was always a treat. Like, darn, we <laughs> no, hit it into the times. pool. We had to go get that thing. Did you ever break a window? Uh, my brother did. I did not. I was not the long hitter at that point. But okay. uh, we would set it up so the, the home plate would back up to the court. So if it went backwards, it was better. Uh, but then we okay. learned if we walked it half a mile longer, we could actually get to a a back fence, a fence, you know, fence to stop it, um, and that was a lot better. But how did you guys handle with no umpire? You know, who's safe and not? A lot of arguments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? That's just like any pickup game, whether it's pickup basketball, whether you know you're calling a foul, or you know, uh, or whether you stepped out of bounds if you were playing, you know, touch football or whatever. It's you know, kids just argue about everything. It was, <laughs> I true. mean, and we actually had some pretty heated arguments that. A couple of times resulted in some fisticuffs. I mean, it it could get a little intense. Yeah, outstanding. We would, outstanding. 
We would get into fights, and then one time I got in deep trouble because I was a little portly as a boy, and the other guys I was playing were bigger, and they're making fun of me, and somehow I, I was found chasing them with a bat in my hand. <laughs> what? You? <laughs> me, oh. I know. And I couldn't catch them because I was so slow. So I just went up to a tree, a neighbor's tree, and started wailing on the tree. And the neighbor saw me and told my parents, and uh, yeah, That's I was funny. in trouble. Yeah. Could, you, could you tell your kid to quit beating up our tree? <laughs> it looked like yeah, something. Well, and I don't know about you guys, but like um, we only had, I think, between the 10 of us, I think we had two baseballs. Mm-hmm. And we had like maybe two or three bats, and they were wooden bats. So, you know, these things got pretty beat up. You know, we weren't out there buying new baseball. So, you know, sometimes, you know, the stitches would come out and it would start to flap around. We'd have to get some duct tape (laughs) and kind of tape up the baseball. I think one of our bats actually had a nail in it to put the whole split together that uh, we we broke at one time. I mean, it was it was uh, redneck baseball is what that was. I like it. And what did you use for bases? Because we didn't have any real bases. So. We used we, old gloves, a sack, a yep. piece of bark, a rock, yep. a paper plate. And one time we actually used a tree as a base, just the way it worked out. Yeah, we, we used trees as bases a lot. We uh, we uh, tried to get sophisticated one time. I'll never forget this. We usually, what we would do was, whoever, whichever team was up, their gloves became the bases. Yeah. Um, we tried to get sophisticated one time. One of us had this brilliant idea. Hey, let's use a cardboard box. So, you know, we'll and we'll cut the box up and we'll make bases out of it. Sounded great in theory. Two problems with it. Number one, if it's a windy day, forget it because the bases are gone. But number two, the thing that we weren't counting on is when you hit the ball and you go to round first and you step on first base and you go to pivot. Yeah, the, <laughs> the base goes out from underneath you and you ended up flat on your face. Um there was uh, a lot of hilarity around that, but uh, we we tried not to use rocks. We did do that once, Paul, but uh, a kid tripped and yeah. kind of hit his kid hit his face on first base, and oh. yeah, yeah, it didn't go well with the parents. So yeah. we, we stopped using rocks after that. Builds character, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, as far as bats, you mentioned wood bats. Um, yeah. We had an old hickory bat. It was actually hickory. My great uncle gave it to me. I was out in uh, Connecticut, of all places, and it was a family reunion, and I was poking around his garage just because I didn't want my Aunt Helen to get me and hug me. So I was avoiding the old aunts, and my uncle saw me, my great uncle, and he saw me looking at a bat. He says, oh, yeah, that was my old bat. It's hickory bat. It really is. And so he gave it to me. And that thing is the hardest wood. Um, It was heavy, too. But I remember my favorite bat I've talked about before was – a bat from Tiger Stadium on Bat Day for Kids Day, and it was a, a Little League-sized Jim Northrup bat. And, oh, I love that thing. But it had a weird color of wood, so I'm not sure if it was 100% wood, to be honest. So <laughs> It might not have been. It might not have been. So, Eric, did you have but any we... favorite bats? Um, yeah, I had, a, I had a Louisville Slugger as a kid that I loved very much. Um, I believe it was a George Brett edition. Of course. So, yeah, I know, of course. That's probably the only kind they sold in Kansas City at the time. <laughs> yeah, mine mine was a uh, mine was a Carl Yastrzemski model. Mm. You know, but that's the one that ended up getting a split in it. I I I darn near cried to be honest with you. I'll never forget when it happened. I wasn't even the one that broke it. Oh, that makes it worse. You know? and, well, the worst part about it was is the kid that broke it 
when he was when he swung. I mean, he didn't break it on purpose, but he hit the ball and the thing broke. It's the kid that I probably liked the least of the gang of us that were all playing. It was the kid I really couldn't stand, and he broke the bat, and I damn near cried. Yeah, but I, you're never, never going to let him see you cry. But I was not happy, so it was after that I took it home and grabbed a couple of nails and put it, put it back together. <laughs> Very nice. How did yeah. it work after that? Uh, oh, I tell you what, it was great if you actually hit it where the nails were. <laughs> fly. <laughs> I think it lasted. I think it lasted about another, about another three months, and then I think right towards the end of the summer, I hit the heck out of a ball, and I think the head of the bat went farther than the ball did, so, yeah. and that was the that was the end of the officially the end of that and one. And they looked inside to see if it was corked up or not, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Especially they said that couldn't have that couldn't have been uh, gums couldn't have really hit it that far. We better check that bat. <laughs> Well, my older brother Scott, who's four year, year four, excuse me, four years older than I am, loved to play baseball, and somehow he got a Dick Allen bat, and it was almost uh, major league size, and we took it out to our biggest park and hit golf balls with it. And man, oh, wow. if you hit a golf ball just right, it goes mm-hmm. a long way. But then think about it: if you're pitching a golf ball, you have to be really on top of it. So. The first aluminum bat we got just was crazy because all of a sudden it didn't sting your hands. It lasted forever. Uh, my dad kept it in his garage for home protection, I guess, or something for a long <laughs> time. Or maybe he couldn't bring himself to throw it away. So do you guys remember your first non-wood bat? Oh, I do. I, you know, Yeah, when it was the first time I played organized baseball, you, you go out and you're not using wooden bats anymore, and it was a metal bat. And I was playing Babe Ruth baseball, and I I think I it, it was almost a religious experience, <laughs> uh, because you know, like you said, you hit the ball, you don't, you didn't even feel it. You know, those wooden bats, unless you hit that thing perfectly, you felt it right. in your hands. Mm-hmm. You know, you could you could take one, you could get jammed with a with a metal bat, and you didn't even know. Right, and back in those days, aluminum really meant aluminum. I mean, yeah, they were. Thick, you're right, they were aluminum and heavy. Yeah. By the time my son got to play with um, metal bats, they you know there was two levels of aluminum and metal in it, and they over time they wear down and crunch. Yep. I'm thinking, what is this? If it's metal, it should be metal, right? right? Right. Yeah, the stuff they use now. If I had had that, I would have been. I I I swear to God, I would have been in the major leagues if I had had those kind of bats. <laughs> when I, because I mean, you look at the stuff they use now, and it's just it's you know. All those years I worked in college athletics, and you got to take a look at the equipment these guys play with now. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, good, ha- for, good for them. The but. handles alone on those bats made such a difference. I mean, padded handles? What is yeah. that? Right. Well, you know, yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. And, and you didn't, you could play in April, and it could be 30 degrees outside, <laughs> and it didn't bother you. Oh. Try, do, try doing that with a wooden bat. It'd Oof. be like you had a, a handful of bees. Right. All right, so baseball was a lot of fun, and we would play till it was we could barely see anymore, or until we heard somebody's home bell. We had a one lady on the court who ring her kids on a bell. I almost felt like saying, "Hey, you cows, going back to your barn, man." You know, <laughs> baseball was a lot of trash talking, at least in the courts I was at. I know Gene's going to have a lot of trash talking um, in his experience, right? Uh, yeah, we we talked a little. Uh, some some more than others. It, the thing was, is if you talked, you better be able to back it up. 
you know, and, and so there were, but there were a few guys that were really, really good players Mm -hmm. and they would tell you exactly where they were going to hit the ball and you couldn't stop them. It didn't matter. They could hit the ball, whatever they want. And they'd be laughing as they're rounding the bases. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the guys that I played with actually went on to play uh, division one baseball uh, down at the university of North Carolina. And he, I mean, he was ridiculously good. It was, you know, it's, it's one of those guys. You just, he probably could do anything he wanted to do athletically. He was just one of those, those gifted kids, but he talked a lot of trash, but he could back it up. (laughs) Did you guys play little league baseball or when did you first start playing organized baseball? I played, uh, I played little league a little bit. Um, and then, uh, I played Babe Ruth and I did not believe it or not. I did not play in high school. Um, just, it wasn't. It was, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, but it was a uh, clickish, mm-hmm. I guess is the way to put it. And, and if you didn't play with these same guys, your entire lifetime, cause these guys all played together, you were kind of an outsider mm-hmm. and you, you were kind of made to feel that uh, you weren't really welcome. And the coach kind of encouraged that a little bit. So, so I didn't play in high school. So I played up until then, but then uh, once high school came, I gave it up. Yeah, I just played in uh, elementary school. Played two or three years of of uh, just little league baseball. Yep. I was I was not a good ball player, <laughs> so <laughs> it was. Yeah, I was. I was. You know, uh, my my dad always said I was. I in high school I was I played full contact photography. So I <laughs> <that> was. <laughs> but yeah, so. My little league career was mostly uh, spent in right field, and my my parents would bribe me just to swing the bat. But I was left-handed, oh. and this was the first couple of years of uh, of little league, and so nobody could pitch to me. So I would just go up, take one for the team, and and wander down to first base. <laughs> it, it worked like a charm. There was like one kid who could actually throw hard, and that stung a little bit. But you know, I uh, I wasn't afraid to take one. You keep taking them for the team, Eric. I appreciate that. That's that's right. Well, I remember that was my skill. the first Little League team I played was called Smith Flowers. And all the colors we had to wear, we wore purple. Ugh. But the <laughs> oh saving goodness. grace of it was my dad was one of the coaches. And because he was the coach, and he'd been throwing the baseball to me since I was a little kid because he played in high school. Um, so when I started off, I started as pitcher and catcher and um, – third base and so mostly pitcher and catcher and my dad says paul you're doing great because when it's wet it doesn't matter you're a mutter you throw the ball over no matter what it looks like or feels like and uh so the next team was called miller furniture and i played on that team one year and the next year before the season started i was riding my bike down a hill on pavement and i went to turn onto gravel yep you see where this is going, guys? Yeah. Wiped man, out, good. and what did you break? Well, I wiped out. It was boom, 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 boom. Everything is in jumble. I, I look up, and I see my bike, which had hand brakes. You remember the hand brakes? The, yep. The hand brake was in my hand. Oh. And oh. I pulled it out and went, oh, ah. that's not good. So oh. I put compression, and a lady stopped and got me. And there, it was right on my left palm where I... Uh, was a catcher, and I still have the yep. Star Trek scar there today. It looks like the Star Trek symbol. So that was one year. The next year, I was going to try out for a Babe Ruth League, and I had my appendix taken out. And so oh. two years in a row, got sort of ended my baseball career at that point, and I concentrated on hockey and other sports. But uh, I love playing softball, and I love playing 
wiffle ball. And so, Eric, we'll let you start this because we've been talking about all our fond memories, nostalgia. Tell us about your wiffle ball career. Well, so I didn't really start doing anything seriously athletic until college. Um, So mostly, you know, I I played softball in college and that sort of stuff, all intramural. But uh, it was the fraternity house outside the fraternity house we had a tennis court there's a fraternity complex like eight animal fraternities house. all at the same place we were more animal house than um uh, than a, like a serious fraternity but <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, we would spend hours out on the tennis courts which we transformed into a wiffle ball court and yeah i mean the fun the fun of that is just you know like suddenly i could throw a curveball and you know and just do all kinds of wild stuff uh, with the with the wiffle ball and, and I could hit a curveball halfway okay um, so that was a lot of fun but yeah we would just I mean it was just a blast just going out and whiling away the hours on the the tennis tennis court playing wiffle ball instead of studying right oh yeah I mean I studied broadcasting you know <laughs> how hard how hard could that be <laughs> hey so, wait a minute yeah. <laughs> sorry sorry yeah. Gene <laughs> yeah, two of the three of us are broadcasters so <laughs> And I'm host. What's the deal with that? So, Gene, you played <laughs> wiffle ball too. My we uh, I started playing wiffle ball when I was probably nine or ten years old. By the way, you know the wiffle ball was invented in Connecticut. Of course, oh, really. Yep, it was invented in Connecticut. Um, but I started playing it when I was nine or ten years old, and my best friend and I, Rick Morenzoni, he lived. I I used to spend every weekend at my grandmother's house, and he lived like two houses over from my grandmother. Well, we would go in the backyard. And we would pretend we were one team or another, and we had the whole batting order. So, you know, he was the Red Sox and I was the Yankees or whoever. You had to bat either left-handed or right-handed, depending on who was up in your lineup. And so we their would, stance, oh, too? Oh, yeah, we, and we did. We used, you had to use their stance, and it was fun. I mean, I, and it, I remember even when we got older. You know, uh, if you remember Louis Tiant, the way he used to oh, pitch. Yeah. So when we'd be, so we'd be out there playing uh, wiffle ball. We'd be twisting like Louis Tiant and throwing pitches. And you know, Carl Yastrzemski, you got the the hands way up over your head. And so we did that. I mean, we would do that literally for an entire day, just out in his backyard. And if you hit the ball up on the roof, it was a home run. Yeah. You know, if you hit it into the fence in the neighbor's yard, it was a home run. You know, and and we had bases and we oh, my goodness, we had fun. We even got to a point because we were such nerds that we would set up. We had a league set up. So this day it was the Red Sox against the Yankees. We actually kept standings. (laughs) Did you keep scoring? Oh, yeah. Oh, heck yes. We kept stats. (laughs) We, we, We were we were we it was nerd central. But it was a lot of fun, and we literally would play all day. And we had, we had like an uh, an arsenal of wiffle balls. We probably we would usually bring about ten or twelve of them out there because we were guaranteed to break one or two. Mm-hmm. Because as we got older, we would just hit the, the snot out of the ball, and we 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 punished uh, a number of balls. Yes. So we would take our wiffle balls and wrap them in masking tape and cut the holes out, uh-huh. so they yep. have a little more little more heft to them. And that was, uh, oh. you could really, uh, uh, then they would fly a little bit further and go a little faster, but you could still get the, get the breaking balls. Stop doing that. We, we started doing that as we got older, we got wiser. We said, it'd be, it'd be closer to baseball if we, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, great idea until we uh, rip, I ripped a line drive at his house. Oops. 
and broke the bathroom window with a wiffle ball. <laughs> oh, it wow. didn't shatter, but I cracked it because nice. I, I mean, I hit a line drive, and and it was a pretty good poke. But I hit it hard, and because it had the tape on it, it was just enough. It, it hit it, and it kind of starfished the window, and that was the end of the tape because we we, we got in a little <laughs> a bit little of trouble. trouble. <laughs> we just a little. We had this ridiculous bat that it was, so it was it was like one of those black rubber ones, so it wasn't like oh, yeah. hard plastic, right? So it had some flex to it. Well, this one I think had been used by like the college intramurals, and so it was kind of worn out, but. We, again, used tape around it to kind of strengthen the middle just enough so you could get just enough whip where if you got it just right, the ball would just sail out of the tennis courts and over the fence. It was awesome. That's awesome. And if you did right. that, you'd take a victory lap, wouldn't you, Eric? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if you hit a home run, you got to take a victory lap. Well, my wiffle ball story also starts with my brother, Scott, four years older. I think he just liked to beat me every game we played so if any chance I got to beat him was just a huge victory and so we play in our backyard of our house and like Gene was saying if we hit the side of the house it was a double if we hit the roof of the house it was a triple but if we hit it over the roof it was a homer and once in a while we would hit it in our cheap vinyl siding that my dad put up back in the very beginning of vinyl siding some of it cracked because we hit it too hard. Um, but do you remember trackball? I don't know if you guys remember this, but trackball, track it's a plastic um, like glove slash throwing um, piece in one action. And there was two tracks on it, and the ball would come out of it, and they would sell a plastic ball and two foam balls with it so that if you threw it, just right, it would curve back left and right and dip up and down. So we would play wiffle ball with the track ball. Oh, wow. So it double the speed, and sometimes you could break it even further left to right. So you had to wait to the last second. And I think that helped both of us with our wrist action because you had to wait for the last second and then just click through it to have any chance at all. So we had tons of fun. Like you said, Gene, we would play for hours and just we would imitate. And Louis Tiant was one of our favorites, too, because <laughs> the way he, he would. Blast. Uh, Juan Marshall was another one we liked. Yep, with the high leg kick. Oh, yeah, because it was just fun just to pretend it be and then try to deceive the guys as long as you can until you threw the ball. So Yeah, the one, we used to, as I said, we used to do it with the, with the batting order. You had to bat left to right. The one thing we did not do was if the pitcher was a left-handed pitcher throwing that day, we did not try to throw with our left hand. Oh, you guys are so lame. That would have been ugly. <laughs> it, trying to hit left-handed was hard enough, let alone try to throw left-handed. Right. So the, so the other area that's very nostalgic for me for baseball was to play with baseball board games because – there's no video games when I was a little kid. I know it's hard to believe, but maybe not for some of the audience. And we had this one game. I don't know if it was Spinomatic, but you had um, little cards and they were round. And then it would have little places. So when you spun it, it would land on if it was hit or strike out or out. And I always remember we loved having Joe Pepitone. Do you remember Joe Pepitone? Flipping the Yankees. Yeah. And he was always great. I mean, that if you spun it just right. The other one was going down to the bowling alley where they had all the arcade games and yep. the baseball game that you would be sitting there and you press a button and the steel ball would come out the middle, come down, and you just had an old-fashioned uh, bat to hit it. But if you hit just right, it would ramp up into the upper deck. Do you remember that one? I do. 
Did you waste any not. money on that, Gene? Uh, I waste. You know, if it had anything to do with baseball, I wasted a lot of money <laughs> on it. You know, I mean, and you're right. There were no video games back then. I'll never forget the first time there was a baseball video game. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I probably, you know, if I, it's a good thing I wasn't working because I would have spent my whole paycheck on it. I mean, it was one of those things where it was just, I would, my, my friends and I, anytime we had any change, we would go down and, and we would just play that game for, as, until the money ran out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my, my, my experience with board games was, and I still, uh, Stratomatic Baseball. It's, it's um, Stratomatic, yep. Stratomatic, yep. I still play Stratomatic Baseball. I'm 60. Really? I'm, strict, I'm 60 years old. Absolutely. And not only do I play it, not only do I have the board game, I play it on the computer with people from across the country. I'm in a league. I'm actually in about four or five leagues that with the computer version of Stratomatic Baseball uh, with guys from uh, this is one league I'm in is 28 of us. And we're from all over the country in Canada. And I've been playing that since I was a kid. It's absolutely addictive. There was another game called uh, it was by a company called Avalon Hill. It was called Status Pro Baseball. That was another one that we used to play. But it, this board game, Stratomatic Baseball, my friends and I started playing that when we were kids. And they have a football version, a hockey version, a basketball version. We had all of them. We nice. had all of them. Oh, it was. And, and like I said, I'm 60 years old and I still play it. <laughs> so, well, again, nerd central. Yeah. <laughs> so we all have kids. And my son, when he was little, when he first li- learned to sit up, I was bouncing a tennis ball at him, and my wife was going, what are you doing? I said, well, if he gets used to the ball now, he won't be afraid of it later, right? <laughs> you know, I might have made him cry a few times when I hit him a little too hard, but, you know, I'm not too bad. So, Tough you guys, do you That's remember right. throwing catch with your kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We So both the kids um, played uh, softball in Ann Arbor when we lived there, and uh, – we're on team. One of their coaches was uh, Dave Coverly, who does the speed bump cartoon. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, he lives. He lives there in Ann Arbor. But, uh, uh, but, yeah, just going out in the backyard and just playing catch. I mean, there's nothing like it. And pitching to the kids, and you know, watching their face that first time they really hit one, it's just like it's magic. Like they don't, um, they didn't know they had it in them, right? So right. they're just like, wow. But yeah, that was that was, that was fun. I have uh, I have two daughters, and uh, they are uh, my oldest daughter Emily is not uh, athletically inclined. Let's, uh, <laughs> I, let's put it that way. Uh, you know, she tried. Yeah, uh, we started out. You know, when she was, we got her going in soccer. You know, when she was like five or six years old. You know that the the youth soccer we call an amoeba soccer because all the kids <laughs> just kind of all move around in a pack like an amoeba. Right. Uh, she tried to she tried to play um, uh, little league uh, uh, softball. And she spent more time picking flowers than she did uh, actually playing the game. So that didn't work so well. My my youngest daughter, Hannah, uh, played softball in high school. She actually could hit the heck out of a ball. Uh, she was pretty good. We used to play catch all the time in the backyard. And she was she was the son I never had. <laughs> <laughs> I tell her that all the time. Uh, but, you know, so she uh, – it, it was a lot of fun, you know. But – you know, and dad being the competitor that he is, dad didn't always, take, dad, dad didn't always take it easy on him. And, you know, sometimes I'd forget, <laughs> you know, maybe throw the ball a little bit too hard and, you know, they'd, it, it, they'd catch it and it'd be like, ah! <laughs> and my wife would, you know, my ex-wife would be running out. What's the matter with you? Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, honey. And that's a whole nother show, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So I yes. got to coach my son a little bit when he was in um, 
Little League. And then there was a bunch of years I didn't, and I watched him, you know, and tried to give him some tips. And he was also a catcher, and he played uh, left field. I couldn't pitch worth a darn, but he could <laughs> definitely run and hustle. And he was not afraid of plowing over the other catcher either. He he was a catcher that was willing to tangle up. And uh, But I, I remember in high school, uh, I was really busy at work and a lot of stress. And the co- coach of the baseball high school baseball team says, hey, you know, we need somebody to take care of our field. I don't know if you, you'd know somebody or if you'd be interested. I said, yes, I'll do it. So I would leave work a little early in the afternoon, ride over there and cut the grass and rake the field out with the dirt and put down the lines. And it was like I was in heaven. It was just like such a release to be there. And I even helped even out some rough areas and painted the wind vein uh, that would tell what direction the wind vein was doing. And it was such a relaxing thing for a year in my life. And at the banquet at the end of the year, they recognized me and some people said, you did that? And I said, hey, it was a lot of fun. Um, so that's baseball has that extra element to me. I don't know it's because my dad got me in love with it. But uh, guys, would you go back and cut the grass on a field? No. <laughs> Crickets, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll sit in the press box and call the game. That's what I do now. Uh, you know, I get I, I'm I'm very lucky that I get to call uh, high school and college baseball games. So I, you know, and, and it's that's what I want to do. I don't I'm not I'm not interested in I can do enough raking in my own yard. I don't need to go rake somebody's <laughs> ball field. But it's a I baseball mean, I, field, man. Yeah. You know, I, I look, I'll tell you what. I admire the people that do that. There's there's an art to that. There is. Um, you know, those guys that take care of those fields. It's it's amazing to watch them. Um, and, but that's that, no, I'd rather sit in a press box and, and talk. I'm, I'm real good at talking. If you haven't noticed, <laughs> yes. you know, I, and, and I, you know, and, and my baseball, you know, my baseball went, of course, morphed right into from wiffle ball to baseball to softball. I played softball, slow pitch softball until I was almost 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and then, you know, I finally, you know, but it was great because, and I was, a, I was a pretty good softball player. I hit a lot of home runs. Because at my size, you know, I, I was like, I didn't really want to run. So I would just hit it over the fence and trot around a lot. But I played till I was 50 years old until I got, we played a doubleheader one day and I couldn't get out of my car. You know, I, you know, I was like, I literally had to practically crawl out of my car. My body said, what? and that's, it was right after that season. I said, yeah, okay. My body's telling me you've had enough. Right. And so that was, that was the end of that. But, you know, uh, but it, for a minute, you're a kid, you know, when you're out in that field, even when you're 45 years old and it may be slow pitch softball, but for a minute, you know, you're back into that field, you know, with those kids with the wooden bat with the nails in it. Um, and and you, you can you forget how old you are for a little while. You, you re, Your body reminds you later, but for a while you get to forget. Mm. So let's transition a little bit before we wrap it up. And the question is, how can we help baseball uh, keep on going strong? Because at times I look at the game of baseball and it's so lagging behind the NFL and it's a different beast. I get it. It's a different game, but I'm concerned because I don't see kids throwing baseball with their dads or their moms outside. I don't see pickup games happening at the end of the court. Uh, like was even happening when my son was little. Uh, I don't see that happen anymore. I see baseball stars 
um, not doing as much publicity, it seems like, for different reasons. Um, so let's talk about that. What can we do to help baseball? Eric, what do you think we can do to help baseball in the future? Um, you know, baseball, one of the things about baseball is it needs space, right? So I think especially in, you know, a lot of these inner city areas, you know, preserving those public spaces, um, where, uh, baseball can be played. Um, you know, I think that's, you know, just having someplace to go play is kind of the first part part of it. Um, and then just making it easier and more, you know, encourage more kids to get out. And yeah, it helps to have some stars, you know, involved in that. Um, you know, but I think, I mean, when you look at baseball, um, it just seems like, you know, you look at the, the faces of the players now, you know, we've got a lot of, of, um, you know, uh, people from, uh, you know, Caribbean nations, and, uh, you know, and just, uh, in Mexico and, uh, you know, quite a lot of, you know, kind of Southern, uh, mid- Midwest white guys, but, you know, we've lost a lot of the, the African-American talent in baseball. And I think, yeah. um, we've really got to encourage, um, those inner city leagues to, um, just to get kids out playing, you know, uh, make it affordable, make it, um, you know, just a chance to get outside. That's, I mean, that's the key, right? Because getting kids away from the, um, you know, the, I, I sound, this is going to sound like an old man, but get away from, you know, the stupid phones and, and the computers and the video games and all that stuff. Go out and, you know, live a little. Right. Play wiffle ball on a tennis court. Live a little. Yeah. Yeah. Gene, what's your take? Well, I, I think Eric, I hit the nail on the head as, as far as the uh, the accessibility to baseball fields. I think those have become very, very limited. And when you do have a decent field, there's signs on it all the time saying, "Don't come on here. You have to have permission." You know, you right. can't just be a kid in the neighborhood and go down to the the ball field down the street and play in there, or somebody will lose their minds. But the other part of it is, and, and this is, I think, the bigger picture here is there's there's a few things. A, they have to fix the game. They've got to shorten these games. They've got to figure out a way to stop these games from taking three, three and a half hours. They've got to start having games start at six o'clock in the evening or something or play more afternoon games. They've got to make it at times when kids can watch a game, you know, start, you know, we're starting our world series and our playoff games at eight, nine o'clock. Kids aren't able to watch that. So they're, you're, you're losing, uh, the kids that would get excited about that because their parents aren't going to let them sit up and watch it. Um, it. It costs so much to go to a baseball game. Now I know in some parts of the country, it's not as bad, but if you live in the Northeast and you want to go to Fenway park or Yankee stadium or, or, or uh, uh, where the, where the Mets play, or what's it, city field. I mean, you got to take out a second mortgage on your house, you know, for a baseball game and they're playing 81 games a year there. So it's not affordable from that standpoint either, where you can afford to take a kid to the ballpark several times a year to get them excited about watching it live. I mean, I just think there's, there's a lot of layers to this. It starts with the inner city stuff, but it also, the bigger picture here is that your pricing and your programming the game away from the younger people. It's not as accessible as it used to be. You're right, and we the television ratings, we've sold our soul for the television revenue, and we're yep. cutting our future out. I mean, the future of baseball is the kids getting interested like we did, but if the kids can't watch it, yeah, the ratings might be okay now, but 
it's going to drop every year as people age out, right? Basically. So right now, the average TV fan of baseball, I'd hate to think what their average age is. It's somewhere in between our ages, probably. Yeah, 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 probably. Yeah, probably. You know, you're right. But 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 they've got to figure out a way to fix it. Now, I'll give Rob Manfred credit for this and I'll give baseball some credit for this. They have tried to bring some of the personality into the game where they're letting guys now uh, where they have their uh, those players weekends where they can have nicknames on their jerseys or where they can wear their own cleats and they can show a little uh, personality in what they wear. Uh, they're letting guys now look trash talking is part of the game these days. And whether you, people want to call it showing them up, you know, like, you, you know, you hit a home run and you hot dog it around the base, let them. I mean, I think if that's what it takes to get kids excited, because I think baseball's got that, um, that, pers- that, that persona of being, you know, a stuffy old man's game. If they, if they continue to, to let some of the personality of these younger players out, especially these Latin players, because they're very passionate. And to just let them have fun, and the kids see that, and maybe they want to, you know, kind of get a piece of that. I think that will help. And I, so I give Rob Manfred credit. I don't give him credit for a lot of stuff, but I'll give him credit for that. I think one hope also for baseball is minor league teams. And I sure. heard, you know, this last year they talked about reducing the number of minor league teams. I wanted to scream, no, don't yeah, you what get are you it? Thinking? Yeah, well, that's the most affordable access for most families. Right. It's tons of fun. Kids get to go there as a family or with their friends and enjoy it and hang out. Uh, around here, Toledo Mud Hens have a great stadium. It's very intimate. doesn't cost too much. They get great um, attendance. It's a triple A for Detroit. Uh, but then we have other baseball teams all around Michigan, the Whitecaps, the a uh, lot of teams, lug the nuts. Lansing, the Lansing lug nuts. Lug nuts. The lug nuts, yes. I mean, and Love then that. Traverse City Beach Bums. I mean, all these teams <laughs> just is so much fun. And a kid is not going to forget that great time going to the ball game for the first time and having – to me, that is the way that baseball continues to keep its soul, basically, is keep major minor league teams going. But I haven't quite understood why they want to reduce the number down. I guess economics drives everything. Yeah, it is, and and it's probably going to happen. Um, they're they're still talking about uh, eliminating forty two teams, and it's it's going to be a nightmare. Uh, this is where I think Rob Manfred's missing the boat here, especially when you have Major League Baseball that that's uh, what they have last year, like a billion dollar profit, and yet you're talking after all that, you're still talking about cutting teams out, it's going to rip the soul out of a lot of small towns around this country. And uh, I, I hope it doesn't happen, but I'm very pessimistic because they keep talking about it and it doesn't seem to be going away. And now they're talking about the draft. The, the major league draft now is could be as few as five rounds uh, within the next few years. So they're, they're eliminating even more opportunities for young players to get drafted into uh, professional baseball because they're trying to streamline these things be, for the almighty dollar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with guys making the kind of money that Mike Trout and people like that are making there, I, I, rightly so, I guess, they're concerned about money. Eric, do you have a favorite minor league baseball team name? A favorite team? Um, Just sounds see, funny. You know, for mine, yeah. it's making bacon. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, because the and the Macon Whoopie that they were a minor league hockey team. Yes, right, right. Yeah, um, man, there are so many good ones. I mean, gosh, I love the Albany Polecats. 
when mm-hmm. I lived there. That was a good one. Um, I'm trying to think. The uh, the Corpus Christi hooks, that's a good one. They have a good logo. It's nice. a fishing fishing hooks. Awesome. Uh, man, there's so, there's so many good ones out there, and I'm just coming up blank right now. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with those. Those the are Lans- my favorites. The Lansing lug nuts are always one of my favorites. I actually have one of their hats. I bought their hat simply because of the name. I thought it was great, it and is. it's got it's literally a, a lug nut. It's great. Uh, my fav- my current favorite is the Montgomery biscuits. <laughs> it's, nice. it's 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 and it's a the logo is literally a a one of those southern biscuits, and it with with eyes and a face. I mean, it is it's hey, hysterical. Can't go <laughs> wrong it. with a southern biscuit. No, you can't. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this podcast, and before I do, I'll let these guys have a minute to say anything they want, as long as the uh, federal government doesn't come down on me. But uh, we like talking baseball. It's really hard not having spring training, not having a season. We've already been in the season by now. Uh, Sooner or later, this national nightmare will end, and we'll be able to see some baseball and go to a baseball game. So if you're out there, hang in there. Sooner or later, we'll be able to do some things in the meantime you could probably still go out and play catch because that'd be more than six feet apart from somebody you're throwing catch to so gene gums do you have any final comments you know i just i i I love talking about baseball i love watching baseball i i'm confident we're going to be back it's going to be strange i think we are probably going to see the first part of the season without fans i think that's just going to be bizarre um but in my mind, I'd rather have that than not have the game at all. I think we're eventually going to get back to whatever our new normal is. And and I, to be honest with you, people keep saying the new normal. I think that we will eventually get back to exactly where we were before. Um, and it, I, th- I don't want to say this was an overreaction, but I, I want to say that, you know, stuff happens. And I think we'll learn from it. And I think what we may see is we may see what they do in Asia now, where they wear masks. When you get the, when somebody gets sick, they wear a mask to protect other people. Right. Not to protect themselves, but to protect other people. Maybe we're going to see that more. Maybe we'll see that more in our major league ballparks. I'm perfectly fine with that. I just, I can't wait till we finally get it going again. Mm-hmm. Eric. Um, yeah, no, man, I agree with that. It would, it would actually be a, a, some, a positive, right? To yeah. come out of that with people actually wearing masks and taking it seriously. Um, you know, maybe drive down deaths from just the normal flu, right? Uh, which mm-hmm. also kills a ton of people. Right. Um, but yeah, I do, I do have something I'd like to say, Paul. And frankly, I have a little complaint I'd like to register. Okay. That's a different to department. Just a second. I'm yeah. Sorry. <laughs> right. You know, we, uh, uh we, uh, did the uh, uh, the best players of the decade for the 1990s yep. and the 2000s, right? Right. Two decades where the Royals were terrible, and they just happened to be bookended <laughs> by two decades where the Royals were excellent. So I just wanted to get that in and have my uh, uh, my my complaint registered so noted. Which decade would you like to talk about next, Eric? Well, I think oh, I don't, what. I don't. I don't, Whitey, I, I don't Whitey Herzog, Whitey Herzog, and Ned Yost <laughs> both agree with you. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't. It was so Whitey. No, Whitey didn't coach the team uh, Actually, he that won the World Series. No, that's he was, right. He was Whitey coached the Cardinals that the year. Cardinals, yeah. That's right. He did. And Dick Hauser was our coach, and he died the next year from a yeah. uh, brain did, tumor. Did he really? The next year? It was next year. The year after, it was right on the heels. 
But I think I think you're right, Eric. I think I think Paul did this on purpose. Yeah, I think he did too. I think he did. Way to end it on a positive note, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I like any time that you're talking about future podcasts. So, folks, we'll be back at some point, whether it's to create a new podcast based on old memories again about maybe the best (laughs) players of the 1990s or the 1980s. But hopefully, we'll be back talking about uh, this next season in 2020. So for Gene Gums and Eric Braun, this is Paul Arnold. Have a great day. Sweet and quack,